Hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop podcast-wise for news, views, and overreactions for all things NFL. This week we're looking at some of the news stories, a couple of the games from last week, and we're looking forward to next week's games. Going to make our picks and hopefully they'll be slightly better than beforehand. Enjoy. Got a slightly cut down version of the normal crew this week. You've got myself and Harry McAvans on you, rather than the other two because they can't make it. It's taken us three different attempts to record it, but we've managed to put something out at least. Uh, we're going to have a little look at the news initially, and then we're going to move on to looking at the games. So I suppose, Harry, how are you getting on today? Uh, doing all right, doing all right. Uh, uh, just coming off the end of a bit of a chest infection, hopefully I won't cough too much and <laughs> I'm coming on now, so that's uh, not, not quite a start. Always, always, always a good start. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've had a slightly tumultuous week as uh, obviously Ian has disappeared off to London and is soon to be not homeless, but he still likes pretty boys, uh, as he said last week. Um, I've just moved down to Dublin, so we had a little bit of a problem of trying to arrange times and whatnot. So uh, always fun. So I suppose we'll start with the news this week, Harry. I uh, think we're going to talk about two news items this week. We're going to initially talk about, and let's be honest, one close to my heart, Arizona, the angry old men, looking absolutely fantastic. Can anyone stop them? At this stage, it looks like the only thing that's going to stop them is Carson Palmer's ACL. What Arizona have done is what Denver have been trying to do. They've built an incredibly aggressive young defense with, you know, they're, they're better ones on offense. They've got a, a quarterback who is obviously not, not hitting Manning's level, but is playing probably the best football he's played in, in a very long time, if not ever. Mm. They've been able to keep him safe despite the problems with, uh, with, with injuries on the O-line. And Larry Fitzgerald, is, this is the be- I think this is probably the, be- the best start season of his career. He's on course to have the best season of his career. Chris Johnson is playing like the old Chris Johnson again. Mm. And you know, a lot of credit, I think, has to go to Bruce Arians for the, the system he's introduced. It's, it's doing a job, and it's just a team that is relentless offense and defense and has a skill that's just getting so much out of these guys that people were writing off even last year yeah no i agree entirely though i must say arizona are looking incredibly strong just phenomenal offense a good stout defense like they've they've managed to start this season with a two-game head start on the main divisional rivals the seahawks as well which is it's going to be that's a great spot to be setting themselves up for moving forward in this division they look intense. And the thing that I like about them, and it's it's a problem I have with teams, it might be it might be a hangover from that from that Chiefs Colts playoff game years ago, but they're the kind of team that when they get a lead, they don't sit back and relax on that lead. They keep going and they keep pumping because they know anyone can get back into a game. There's no point in letting up and just playing soft defense, which a number of teams are very guilty of doing. Like they are put together well. And I know you said he's he's no Peyton Manning. I would say, as it stands, he's playing far and above what Peyton Manning, one, is doing, but two, I think potentially can do this season. He's looking fantastic. It was a question that was raised. It's, it's a legitimate question. When you look at Carson Palmer now and you see how he's playing, you've got to ask yourself the question, why exactly did the Raiders let him go for absolutely nothing back in the day? I know he wasn't looking as good at the time, but clearly the potential is there and he's realizing it now. This is a guy who's playing one of the best seasons of his career. He's got the surrounding cast to do it. It's it, it's phenomenal for me. Like, who do you think? Who do you think in the NFC is going to really challenge him? Like, is this a team? Because I think, in my opinion, is this is a team that's definitely getting to something like the the championship game and maybe beyond. I think you know it, it depends when they when they hit the Packers. 
Uh, that's the only team right now in the NFC that I can see challenging them. But just to pick up on what you said there about the relentlessness of that offense and not stepping off the gas when they're ahead on both sides of the ball, it reminds me of the best Patriots teams under Belichick. Having no, of that. course the Patriots. Well, yeah. It's true, it's what we did. You saw us do it against Jacksonville. Yeah. Again, it's the same thing that Arizona did against San Francisco. You have the lead and you just keep hammering <laughs> away. And that's like being able to coach your team, being able to actually, firstly in your play calling, but also to motivate your players to play every down, every snap, at that level, particularly in a league where it's seen as you know bad form to run up the score, I think that's actually part of the reason for their success is just that level of motivation there. Because for a lot of those players, this could be their last chance mm. to do something with this. Palmer is, I agree with you, yeah. currently outplaying Manning, and I would be surprised if Manning can play as well as Palmer is playing right now in the state he's in. But yeah, like other than other than Green Bay, it's very difficult to see anyone being able to knock this team off. And if Palmer stays healthy, they could very very easily get to the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, like this, 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 this makes me think back to uh, to days when when we had what what was his name again the uh, the 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 quarterback the old fellow who was working in the shop and then came back in and got down to the well, I think it was the Cardinals as well to the Super Bowl. Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner. I'm I'm getting a lot of Kurt Warner vibes off this Carlson Palmer rejuvenation towards the end. Uh, they were saying like there, there there is a difference that you see to his throwing motion at the moment that wasn't there beforehand. Uh, possibly the, the, the theories are going around at the moment that essentially because the problem that dogged him beforehand was a shoulder injury and he said his, his throwing mechanism or his throwing style wasn't fully back up to speed. He was working something else around. And there's there's a theory and it seems like a legitimate theory the way they're playing right now that the fact that he got injured early last season and that was not an injury to the upper half, an injury to the lower half, while he was rehabbing that, he was able to allow his shoulder to recover. There was no preseason and season to be playing their way through. He had time to rest it and let it get back up to strength. And that his, his shoulder and his arm, his throwing arm, is essentially back up to where it was pre-injury because he had such a long time to rehab it and to just let it get back to where it was naturally. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. I think, you know, it's often you, you don't see quarterbacks that age often make those adjustments, those improvements mm. to their mechanics and... It is, it is something remarkable that he's able to do that and just take the time to get back to, to where he needs to be. And in a way, yeah, I suppose if you look at that injury, the silver lining behind that injury last season, because again, last season, had Palmer stayed healthy. Well, that's the thing. You saw, you saw how deep their own went into the playoffs, even though they were playing with Ryan Lindley. Ryan Lindley yeah. Good Lord. Like, if a team can be so good that they can get that far with Ryan Lindley, it says an awful lot. Like, I can't think of almost any other roster that would be able to survive playing their third string quarterback and still make a run in the playoffs um but yeah I've, I'll, I'll put something out there that's a little bit controversial maybe not that controversial uh i would i would currently as it stands on a neutral field definitely but possibly even if they were away i would currently be taking arizona if they were to play pittsburgh next week i think they have the ability to do it, they, to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them, and I think their defense is slightly better than the Packers' defense is. As it stands in my head, NFC-wise, Arizona are my favorites at the moment. I thought they actually said Pittsburgh, and I was like, well, we'll come to that. But uh, uh, yeah, Green Bay, I, I, I can oh, see... Oh, I, 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 I jumped a little bit early onto the Nets. The Nets. <laughs> we'll come to that in a moment, but yeah, I can certainly see the argument. I don't know... If I would go that far, um, I, I can certainly see them giving them a good game. It's very difficult to tell because the form Aaron Rodgers is in at the moment is, is remarkable. Although Green Bay are, of course, somewhat somewhat depleted on the offense by injuries. Mm. So I don't know if I would say, yeah, I will definitely take Arizona over them. But that is not a game I would put money on. That is not a game I would feel delighted about calling. And yeah, I think home field would be a, be a huge factor in a matchup between those two teams. 
Like, at the moment, yeah, Arizona could go to the Super Bowl. It'd be hilarious to end up playing Cincinnati and the NFL would hate that. Oh, it'd be phenomenal, wouldn't it? Yeah, but uh, it's definitely there for them. And this is just one of the most disciplined, motivated teams in the league right now. And they're playing at, a, at just this, everything is clicking. Everything is coming together. No, it makes sense. And you're getting the best out of out of a bunch of players. But to go back to there, your, your sort of Freudian slip uh, leads into the next section of the news, which is obviously to do with the Pittsburgh Steelers and what's happened to uh, Ben Roethlisberger uh, and why I don't think anyone would take Pittsburgh to beat, uh, to beat Arizona if they played next week. Uh, Ben's gone down, Mike Vick is in. Connor, what do you think the impact of that is going to be? Well, bizarrely, the thing that the thing that's problematic for me right now is obviously it's a massive downgrade. They don't have a big guy to stand in the pocket and be able to deliver those deep balls to the Antonio Brown, the best receiver in the game right now. What I see is they don't have a terrible run of the next couple of games. Uh, they say it could be up to six weeks that he's out, four to six weeks. The problem is if you're looking at six weeks, the seventh week is going to be the Browns, which I think is a game that they can win anyway. And then after that is a bye week. So I could see this being a scenario that if it's going to take the, the upper end of the injury time for recovery, will actually be without big Ricky Ben for eight weeks uh, rather than the four to six you're suggesting. The problem I have is, while I think that's a fall-off, this is still an incredibly good offense. They've got Le'Veon Bell back. They've got uh, Bryant back now this week. I don't want to overestimate Michael Vick. Uh, I think there's a, there's a continuity there in that they are both horrendous human beings, and I think that's going to play to their strengths. But more importantly, I don't think that Michael Vick is so significant a drop-off that an offense that is that powerful is going to not be able to perform. And given the next run of games they have, there's a couple of tough ones in there. But if they can go 500 over the next couple of games, they're set in a fantastic position when Ben comes back to get back into it. I don't see this as being a season ender. It's the end of them having a 14-win season. But it's not the end of them making the playoffs. And then making the playoffs with Ben back and with an aggressive offense that can really perform. So it's an impact, but I don't think it has as wide-reaching a problem as a lot of people seem to think it does. I'm actually one of those people who thinks slightly differently about this. And the reason for that is to do with, there's two reasons. One of them is Antonio Brown, and one of them is to do with the offense Tom Haley has put in place. And this is why I think the Roethlisberger's injury is going to hurt them more so than just the skill drop-off down for Vic. Now, obviously, Roethlisberger's a better quarterback than Vic, and obviously he's a worse human being than Vic, although Vic certainly tried his best. The only um, difference is only one of them was actually convicted. And that guy, <laughs> and he, you know, he paid, he paid it. He paid it. He paid his debt. He served his time. Whereas, uh, yeah, Roethlisberger was suspended for four games. But anyway, um, the issue there is that with Roethlisberger and what, where they've worked so well and where Antonio Brown has fitted so well into this offense has been they are a pass first, quick look, quick pass team. Roethlisberger can still extend plays and is able to do that when the plays break down. But part of the reason he struggled initially in Haley's offense was transitioning into that style of play. I don't know if Mike Vick fits an offense like that, and particularly where you have a guy like Antonio Brown who's moved around all over the field by the Steelers, and that's part of the reason he's able to be so successful right now, is he creates nightmare matchups wherever you put him. So they play him out of different places, the team struggles to lock him down, and then his natural ability does the rest. A lot of that becomes from the connection him and Roethlisberger have developed in getting used to that style of play. That's a big thing for a guy like Vick who hasn't had been there for you know hasn't been there for that long. Just came in towards the end of the off season when um, uh, Landry Jones was injured. Uh, no, not Landry Jones. Uh, Greg Kowski, one of their backups, anyways. One, <laughs> one of, of their one many, of those terrible many backup bold, bad backups. I think that's going to have an impact there because you're not going to be able to utilize Brown in the same ways that are so devastating to 
that, that they were able to do with with Roethlisberger and with the connection they have and with the okay, way they're able to move you. around and play him. So yeah, I think that they're going to have to modify that offense. Going to have to lean more on the run game. I think they can do that. Todd Haley is quite a stubborn man, so we'll see how how whether or not they do that immediately or whether or not it takes two games to implement. Vic also the last few times we've seen him play has not been not been inspiring. Like his end of the end of the run towards the Eagles, huge ball security problems. We saw it again even in this game against the Rams. He came on and was able to recover his own fumble, but did did drop the football. Uh, I think an average about six yards of play. I think the issue there is how like fitting a guy like Vic into that offense is going to be more difficult. He's going to struggle to make those short, quick throws, and when plays break down, he's not able to extend it in the same way as Roethlisberger. You're going to see him try and escape the pocket a lot more, try and make run plays with his legs, and while he still can do that, I think that's where turnovers happen, and that's where we saw turnovers happen with Philly at the end of the run, particularly when he was trying to win a game. No, I agree. I agree with a lot of that, and I also think there's an element of, given that they're an offense that's designed around extending the play and keeping them in the pocket, the, just the height difference between Ben and Mike will cause an issue because he's not going to have the same plethora of options to what he can see and what he can throw to when a play breaks down. My contention with this is essentially that with Brown there, even though Vic is not as accurate a passer or as good a passer as Ben is, he's still got a cannon. He can still throw it deep. Brown is such a unique talent that they're still going to have to provide coverage from. They're still going to have to, even though the pass game won't be what it was, they'll still have to provide as much coverage on that player or else he will get free. And if he's free, it doesn't matter if Vic is a bit inaccurate. If they let him run free, he can hit him. So I think the defences are still going to have to allow for that. Now, if you've got Le'Veon Bell there and Michael Vick, who, even though he's old, still has wheels, he can still make plays happen. He can still run if needs be. I think there's going to be enough on offense to keep them going for the couple of weeks, for the six, seven weeks that it'll take for, for Ben to get back. I don't see it being as functional an offense, but I still see it as being an offense that will do damage. And given what their schedule of games are, I can see them winning half of them and then still being in a great position when he comes back. And if we've learned anything about Roethlisberger, he does not like one being injured. He likes to pretend to be injured and play through it. But good Lord, like if you're someone who likes to pretend to be injured and play through it, you will even love more the ability to say, I was injured, but now I've come back and I am your savior. So I can imagine him coming out trying to steamroll teams after that. And they've got enough underneath that they can have other passing routes other than Brown. Bryant will be back. They'll have plenty of options. And they've always got a very good run, run game when you've got Levy on Bell. There is a thing, and it's probably just a tie back to, to the olden days when Vic was Vic. Uh, the 100, 100 rating on speed Madden Vic back in the day. But just the idea of being able to run an offense where you have Michael Vick as an option player there and Le'Veon Bell coming out of the backfield and having that to force people to come up close while also having to have them try and cover for the fact that Brown is going to be tearing up the back end even if Vick's not that accurate. I, I, I just see this as being an offense that will fall off a little bit but won't fall off as much as other people seem to think. But hey, we'll see how it goes, I suppose. I guess, I guess we'll see. And I, like, I don't think it's necessarily a disastrous playoff hope. I think, it, given the way Cincinnati are playing, I think it makes it quite difficult for them to perhaps win the, win the division, but we'll yeah. see how it goes. And the big one would be the trying to get themselves some home field there because yeah. that field, ooh, Heinz Field, can be a tough place to go, especially at that point when it's January and when it's cold and coming in there to an angry crowd. And let's be honest, that's the only crowd angrier is probably Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, like... 
that's not a spot people want to go into. If they can lock up home field advantage, I can imagine these guys steamrolling their way to the AFC Championship game at least. They have the talent to do it, so I suppose it does depend when, when uh, Roethlisberger comes back. There is one thing I'll, I'll close this on, just about when he'll come back. If that game is against the Browns before the bye week, whether or not he comes back in that game is going to depend an awful lot on how the team has performed with Vic. It yeah. is, yes, the Browns, yes, they can probably beat the Browns. It is still a divisional game. And that could turn out to be critical, whether or not yeah. he gets an extra two no. weeks rest. You're right on that. And You're of course, right let's just hope for them that Michael Vick doesn't also get injured. <laughs> oh, good God. Who's, who's, who's the third string there? That is Landry Jones. Oh, God. Yeah, he's the fella who I always laugh at, because anytime I see him on the thing, it's like, why, why would I want to draft someone who's called Laundry? And then, uh, then I just think back, and I'm like, no, it's Landry. And I think of Friday Night Lights and that guy who was the really irritating redhead fella who just ended up finally getting a job as a kicker. Okay, so we're going to have a quick look at some of the games from last week. We're trying to run a new ranking system on them, so we're going to say the good games, the bad games, the medium games. Uh, unfortunately, as we said, last week, most of the games looked pretty terrible. It ended up being a compelling weekend of football because they, were, they tended to be high-scoring and close, but not because they were good games, just because everyone was making mistakes. So what we're going to classify as fun games... <laughs> We're going to look at the Atlanta-Dallas game, the Cincinnati-Baltimore game, and the Oakland-Cleveland game. And you know when you're involving Oakland-Cleveland in the good side that you've hit a bad week of football. So let's start at the top. Atlanta-Dallas, a 39-28 game that was close up until the end and then decided to just descend into madness. What do you reckon, Harry? Is this the end of Dallas or is this the start of an upstart Atlanta, uh, upstart Atlanta team? Well, Atlanta have been scraping out wins after the first two weeks and then sort of, I think, in the second half against Dallas, really clicked into gear. It's still quite difficult to judge Atlanta because of the teams they've beaten have been three teams from the, yeah. from the NFC East, three teams that have struggled. The Cowboys, quarterback by Brandon Weed. And actually, I want to call you up on this because <laughs> last week... I knew this was coming. Week, I knew this was coming. You said you had no faith in the... Uh, Brandon Weed and uh, Lance Dunbar connection. connection. I'll give you a stat line here. Brandon Weed and Lance Dunbar... 10 attempts, 10 completions, 100 yards. So, mm. not all bad there. But, you know, uh, and Brandon Whedon, to be honest, wasn't the entire problem for Dallas. What was really worrying for Dallas was, yeah, okay, Brandon Whedon didn't play great. Had a pick. was reasonably, surprisingly reasonably accurate, if a little conservative with what is, I suppose, a depleted receiving core. The problem for Dallas was that their defense, just after halftime, stopped playing. And Julio Jones... Them. And obviously, Julio is a fantastic player. He's one of the best five wide receivers in the league, possibly top three. But it was something else. He was open nearly every play, put up an absolutely mm. immense stat line, and just bullied defensive backs. And what's concerning for Dallas is, while Romo's gone, while Bryant's gone, they need their defense to step up. Yeah. And if they don't, they're just going to backslide into the mess that is their division. One that they managed to get a little bit of, a, bit of a lead on just by being marginally more confident than their previous two opponents. Well, I wouldn't say more confident than their opponents so much. I'd say by virtue of everyone else in the division being terrible. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> fair, fair way to look at it. But, you know, um, it was, there, were, there were definitely signs of positive signs from Atlanta. Uh, Devonta Freeman as well, sort of breaking out there and, and, and doing oh, some damage. Time, great time on him. But also worrying things to them, in the first half, uh, Randall ran all over them. Even Dunbar mentioned uh, for a bit of comedy, but genuinely, he's a receiving back to get 100 yards mm. in a game. It's, it's crazy. I'll tell you now, this is something I always wanted to chat to about was the, uh, was the Dallas run game because, uh, yeah, it was interesting. They, they, they seem to still be running a full-on committee stance of, I think it was Randall had 24 carries, Dunbar had 20. 
and uh, and then they gave Darren McFadden six or something. I don't want one carry. One carry. Mostly, mostly, but he got ten receptions. So oh, sorry, ten receptions. What I'm thinking of. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, the thing the thing that was very interesting is when you look at the stat line, you look at how it went. You kind of think, Jesus, Randall had a great game. They found themselves a back now because he had hundred yards, a touchdown or two. Like he was, he was, he was flying around. It seemed great. But uh, I had a quick look at the box score and the actual the actual rundown of it. So in the first half. He had 106 yards. The touchdowns came off very short yardage situation, so it was just happy times that he managed to get those carries. But in the second half of the game, Randall had, I think it was 11 carries for negative five yards. It was the thing of, at the initial point, the run game got going, and his, his stats are based on the fact that he had a 37-yard run, a 25-yard run, and then I think a pair of 15 yards or something like that. But for the second half of the game, they had absolutely nothing going on it whatsoever. And when we're looking at this Dallas team going forward, like they started out well, they started scoring, it was great. I loved it on fantasy because I had a lot of those players involved. But oh, Christian Michael though. Oh yeah, I'm telling you, Christian Michael's gonna come in and take over that backfield. Uh, yeah. <laughs> laugh at me now, uh, laugh at me later. But the problem that you're gonna have is when you've got Brandon Whedon, and I, like we said, I laughed at the Lance Dunbar, Brandon Whedon connection, but like as much as they might've gotten 100 yards, that's not something you want to back going forward. Like that's not something you can build your build your game around. You need to build it around a run game. It looked positive from the run game initially when you look at the stats for the overall game. But when you dig into it, as soon as people got over the fact that it's not Tony Roman and it's not Des Bryant, they started to figure out what the offense they're actually running is. That running game got shut down entirely. This is not something they can rely on moving forward. So much as I want to say, hooray, Atlanta did well and they did. Dallas are facing into a really, really rough patch now, I think. Because the hope was the running game could take off some of the pressure that's going to be left on playing a backup wide receiver and backup first uh, uh, quarterback. But it's just not looking like it's going to be able to support them. I think what's particularly worrying is that Dallas put so much into, and particularly the run blocking of their O-line. And yeah, yeah, Dan Quinn's doing good things with the defense in Atlanta, but it was impressive and, and from them, but also just very concerning for Dallas that once Atlanta realized that they had not that much to worry about on the back end, they were able to shut that down. They were able to get mm. into the backfield and create uh, create problems for the Dallas running game. And it didn't matter whether it was Randall, McFadden, Dunbar, whoever. It doesn't matter. If your O-line can't block, and when you've got supposedly the best O-line in the league, and you know your defense isn't stepping up, no, they've got no reason to fear Brandon Whedon, yeah. and you just find yourself overwhelmed and overmatched, even just on a numbers game. That is... The really concerning aspect of that for Dallas. So just one, one question, more question then on this. How long before we see Matt Castle? I think it's going to be one more game. I think what I think they would like to start him in next week's game, but they're gonna want to make sure he's up to speed on the on the playbook and everything. Like it's it's a game against the Saints, and the Saints are a dumpster fire. So they think they they probably reckon, and they they'd be right in reckoning that. Uh, like the run game will have more success against them. We we, we, we discussed the last week about um, about how terrible the corner play was and the, the DB play for Saints were in general. This is a scenario where even Brandon Whedon can do well. So I think they'll have him play next week. The only potential controversy is if he plays particularly well. But even then, if you play particularly well against a terrible team, it doesn't say that you're the best option for that team going forward. The, the one thing that I do think was kind of fun... Um, just, just, just as an aside before we move on to the next game, this is the first time since 
seventh grade that Brandon Whedon has had the same offensive coordinator two years in a row. So maybe we're going to finally see a superstar pull-out season by him because he has a bit of continuity. But realistically, Dallas, nah, not fun. Not a good scenario to be in. And uh, to be honest, I'd be happy to be any team who's now getting to play Dallas during this stretch of games rather than any other ones. Speaking of teams that should be much better than they are and people are happy to see playing them, Baltimore played Cincinnati uh, last week uh, in a game that ended up 28-24. To be honest, probably a scoreline that flatters Baltimore more than it should, given how the game went. What are your thoughts on that, Harry? Yeah, well, I was very impressed with what I saw from Cincinnati, but Baltimore, the problems were, were there, and they were, they were significant. Um, once again, Steve Smith went mental trying to win the game by himself, uh, but it wasn't enough. Joe Flacco is struggling... The run game is, is just a mess at the moment after his breakout last year. Forsett is going nowhere, and how much of that is, is now down to the system they're running, I don't know, but it could be quite a bit of it. But they're getting absolutely no traction on the ground. Flacco is having to, having to go to the air, and is, apart from Smith, is getting, is getting very little help. And now, of course, um, the, tight, the tight end has gone down as well, mm. so that's another problem for them. And on the defense, it's, I, I didn't think Terrell Suggs would be that damaging to them, but it, lo- it looks like it has been. They couldn't get a huge amount of pressure on, on Dalton. Uh, he had a lot of time to, to find what to find his find his spot, and yeah, there were there were some good plays, CJ Mosley's fumble recovery and things like that. But on the back end, they just got annihilated. I mean, AJ Green is good, but even for like a very very good receiver like him, going over two hundred and twenty yards in oh, a game yeah. that just that just is unacceptable. It is like that's 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 a team that was meant to have a good defense that just is not delivering whatsoever. The hope that they had was going to be, and bizarrely, we've 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 had this joke every single week so far where. We've been watching games either in the same place or it's been a text message. It's been, so, Baltimore have a chance to actually close this thing out towards the end. Can Joe Flacco be elite? And, yeah, it's just just not happening. And to be fair to him, I don't think, I agree with you, I don't think it's necessarily him. I think he's actually playing quite well. It's just the supporting cast surrounding him is terrible. Steve Smith is playing a blinder, and that's great. But that's one receiver who is also, like, 50 years old and playing an exceptional game. You can't rely on that for the basis of your offense. I'm looking now at the Cincinnati team and feeling happier even still with that whole stuff we talked about beforehand. The fact they have an excellent roster and Dalton has yet to shit the bed. The problem is that I do think it's coming. It's in the post. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it later on in the games for next week, but I think some of us think it's going to be happening uh, when they play KC this week, but we'll see, we'll see. It was very much a thing of Cincinnati looked okay. There were some phenomenal performances from AJ Green, as you mentioned, and stuff. They stomped all over them. This is not a scoreline that reflects how dominant Cincinnati were over Baltimore for this game. It was just the fourth quarter. Baltimore came alive and started coming back at them, and it could have gone a different way. But overall, in this game, the better team won, and Baltimore looked like they are the team who are going to do terrible and will occasionally flash enough good to give their fans hope but not ever deliver on that. Yeah, I think it's, it's also worth Baltimore in terms of what Joe Flacco's supporting cast. Now, Brashad Perriman is out indefinitely. He's had mm. to have surgery on his PCL. So you even lose that aspect of hope of, of the offense can improve and can get better. So yeah, so that's, that's a problem for Baltimore. With that said, I, don't, I think this team is playing within itself. I think there are certainly problems with the game planning and play calling. I don't think it's going to be a disaster for them. I think they have an opportunity with, with the Roethlisberger injury to perhaps push for a wild card. They, I think they are going to be a bit better than you think, but I quite think it's a question of what, what time they start turning it around because there is a lot, there is a fair bit of talent on that roster. But Cincinnati, I think at this point, 
have gone do something spectacular to lose that division. When will Ellie Dalton ship the bed? Whenever their first prime time game is. Fair enough. I think it'll be some fun when we come to pits for next week as to how we defend certain things, uh, Harry. <laughs> but uh, we'll see. Uh, our last good game, and like I said, this is a stretch. Good game. Uh, opened at Cleveland, 27-20. Fortunately, we currently don't have our resident Browns fan here to uh, to defend his pick of, they're going to stomp all over them. Sure, it's all looking fantastic. Duke Johnson's going to be a Hall of Famer. So, yeah. This was a this was a terrible yet entertaining game to watch. <laughs> what do you make of it, Harry? Well, I say actually, I actually I shouldn't listen today because I started Duke Johnson over Carlos Williams in yeah. fantasy. I just I still won, but it was oh bad call. I really again I just like what I saw from Oakland on offense. Um, Carr is really clicking with Cooper. Murray's playing fantastically. Crabtree didn't have the best game, but still gives still gives him an option there. So. Uh, for Oakland, I think, yeah, off- the defense still struggles, but offensively we're seeing good things. Cleveland, I do not know why you go back to Josh McCown. I don't I think don't get it Josh McCown gives you a, cha- a, a better chance of winning games than Manziel. I don't think Manziel is, is great at this stage, but I think he's shown signs of improvement. And I think he can make throws that Josh McCown yeah. can't. Here's, here, here's, here's the question, I suppose, is the question sitting with that, with that management team. The floor for Manziel, I understand, is lower than the floor for McCann. And that's, that's questionable in and of itself. But the thing that you know for definite is that the ceiling for Manziel is a lot higher than the ceiling for, for, for McCann. Like, you know that he's going to be a guy who might be able to win you six games a season, maybe, if everyone performs around him. He's not going to pull off a comeback. He's not going to throw particularly fantastically. He's going to be a solid, like he's a solid backup. And I don't get why this team is going to, like you're saying, make the call to say, let's take a solid backup and hope for the best. This is not a, this is not a, a management team that's going to be saved by the fact that they might win six games this year. This is a team that is invested, and they have a terrible track record of it. They invested a first-round pick in this, in this quarterback. They need to see what he can do. Not putting him in strikes me as just allowing this question of whether or not he's a guy for the future or a guy for now what he is or isn't it's just constantly pushing that question down the line and slowing up the potential of this management team to make decisions and make calls to try and shape the football team what you're doing is essentially not making a call while you're holding them there but also because you're holding them there not allowing them to even think about taking a step in a quarterback direction yeah, no, I, that, that's that's exactly it. I think you want to give Manziel as much time with the team as possible. This team isn't going to be good enough to make the playoffs, whatever happens. This team isn't going to be bad enough to get Cardale or Hackenberg. Now, uh, they probably don't want to at this stage, having gone mm. for Manziel so recently, and that will be just giving up. I think this that's is it. it was only it was only the, 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 the <coughs> two seasons before drafting Manziel, they picked up Whedon in the first round. Yeah, well, that was, <laughs> that was never a long-term move. The guy was, what, like 28? Yeah. But, uh, I would like the idea of we need to invest for our future. Let's pick a guy who has about five years left yeah, in the league. That, that was very bizarre. But that, <laughs> that was a very Browns move. But genuinely, it's like you want to see what Johnny's got. And the thing is, give him time. The more game practice he gets, the better he's going to be going forward. The better he'll be mm-hmm. next year if he's had more time to learn the offense and bed down with the receivers and get comfortable behind that O-line. Now, I know that's just they've, I think they've got rid of their O-line mm-hmm. coach this week because of the problems they've had, which is, is understandable to an extent. But the thing is, he gives you, yeah, okay, his, ceiling, his floor is probably lower than McCown's at this stage in his career, but he can make throws and do things that McCown can't. You know what you're getting with Josh McCown. Mm, Manziel it. has shown this year that he is a little set more settled than last season. He's got a better grip on things, and he can make 
throws that change games and win games and against mm. teams like Oakland that don't have a great defense that's when you want a guy like that yeah. you don't want a guy who's going to do the by the numbers stuff that thing like I said I said last week the problem I had with Cleveland was that they were showing great flash plays but they didn't have the the the, the kind of the, the bones of the game they didn't have the making their way slowly up on a drive running it that way and making it happen the only way that you develop that in a quarterback and in a team is by having them in there and giving them game experience and getting them used to trying to run drives and run distance drives and be able to run a team. By removing Manziel, you're removing the ability to develop that in him. Now, be he the guy or be him not, you need to give him that option of getting to that point and seeing whether or not he can make it happen. And I think that's the big failing in Cleveland right now. The best option they have right now is to put Manziel in. And they're doing the exact opposite. On a more positive note, I'm now going to talk about the Oakland Raiders. And it's, it's a worrying thing to talk positively about the Oakland Raiders, uh, especially as a Chiefs fan. But I thought they looked great. And there's one thing I wanted to throw in here. I thought it was a fun stat. Someone, someone popped it up online. During this game, it was, uh, it was Derek Carr's 293rd, 293rd dropback. So in that time, uh, he has been sacked 25 times, which... While not a phenomenal number, it's an okay number. You're talking about two seasons, although a season and a couple of games. It's high, but it's not too high, right? In the exact same amount of games, and this is why the stat came out, on the 293rd uh, dropback of his brother, uh, David Carr, he received his 90th sack. <laughs> so, yeah, if, if, if we are to believe, as it was, that David Carr was primed to be a good quarterback and was hamstrung by the fact he just got the living shit kick out of him because he had a terrible line. Um, what we're seeing in David Carr is a good, or in Derek Carr, is a good quarterback who's showing a lot of, lot of promise, hitting his wide receivers well and making good decisions, like very good decisions. Maybe, maybe the fact that he's not under as much pressure from what, what should be a much more porous Oakland uh, offensive line. Like they're not great there. But he's getting time in the pocket. He's making decisions. He's getting the ball out quick. I am incredibly impressed with Derek Carr. And uh, it's worrying to say that like, I think I'm looking at a quarterback who's going to do very well in the league and a quarterback who's going to do very well moving forward for a team that is a divisional rival of my team. It is a bit weird to look at the Oakland Raiders and see them drafting well and actually building something yeah. long term. But they are. And... This is the thing I really, one of the things I really like about Carr is he's, and you see this with a lot of young quarterbacks, they lock into that, you know, they lock into that first read, they stare down receivers and things like that. One of the things I noticed with Carr is, particularly in golf those situations, he's, he's quite good at making those full reads of the pitch. Like, you see guys like um, Holmes and uh, Seth Rogers getting involved in the goal line situations, and it's not just he's looking for Cooper, it's not just he's looking for Crabtree. Mm. He's got that, that ability to actually... Uh, scan and, adju and adjust, which is something young quarterbacks often struggle with, and that's very important. Very much. I, I still remember we were sat in here watching the game when he scored. Was it Rogers took the touchdown? And uh, <laughs> touchdown, Rogers. And we just kind of turned to him and said, "Who? <laughs> Who's this guy?" But yeah, that's the thing is he's he's got the ability to read the entire field. It's not most 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 young quarterbacks who come out, even even Andrew Luck. They were limiting the amount of the field he's looking at. They're saying your reads are on one-third or one-half of this pitch. You don't need to worry about the rest. The rest is just there to draw coverage kind of thing. 
they've got a chap here now who is reading the entire pitch and has the option of any of the any of the receivers who are in front of him. I'm incredibly impressed with what he's done so far. And uh, yeah, no, just just overall, I never thought I'd be saying this coming into this season, but the Oakland Raiders seem to be doing quite well. Well played, Sean. Well played. It'll be the first time that I'm not sad that the Chiefs will lose both their games to them because we always do. We always do. For some reason, we always do. So for our next section, we're going to look at the bad games, as we like to call them now, the Dumpster Fireside Chats. Uh, our first game up is going to be uh, Washington-New York Giants, an NFC East game that uh, was so horrendous we wanted to turn it off. So we did. Uh, so Harry, from the part that we did watch, what did you make of it? Uh, to be fair, we did watch the highlights afterwards and we kind of caught up on, on condensed game, but... There was no way I wanted to spend another hour and a half watching this absolute shit show of a game. What did you reckon, Harry? The racist versus the chokers. I did make it uh, about halfway through the third quarter before it was about four o'clock in the morning. I was like, I'm, I'm going to sleep. I, I, I don't need to see any more of this. It was just inept. We saw all of the bad things from the Giants. We saw all the bad things from Washington that, that, that we know they do. So in the case of Washington, we had... You know, Kirk Cousins' limitations were once again just brutally exposed. The interception he threw inside his own 20 was one of the stupidest throws I have. Like, it was just a throw you expect from a, a bad quarterback to make. Just chucks it up over the middle. No idea of where the linebackers are. No idea of where the coverage is. The safety is anything. The run game was absolutely dysfunctional. Um, for some reason, they decided to give most of the carries to their third string running back, which made absolutely no sense. I know... Um, uh, Jones fumbled, but but uh, I, I don't know why they were like, oh, we just don't like Freddie Morris anymore for some mm. reason. So I don't know what's going on there. But on the Giants side, it was weird. Yes, in the end, you know, eventually Eli managed to get the big touchdown to Odell Beckham and everything. But what really struck me for the first half of the game was the, the uh, Washington were double covering, sometimes even triple covering Beckham, which left huge gaps, particularly over the sideline. And Manning was seeing those and then missing his receivers by miles, mm. just missing open receivers. Yeah. It was... And their own their own run game was also quite bad. It was just do we do we think that that is a like because obviously I think we both agree Eli Manning massively overrated quarterback. I don't think he's particularly good, uh, but he does he does pull it out in certain situations. He can do he can do. I know you've got you've got a big chip in your shoulder to do with him as your as as your Patriots fan. But is this is this a scenario purely based on he's throwing poorly, or is it a situation of Bad communication, receivers running poor routes, them not having the route running ability. Because I know they're missing some of the... Like, their, their hope is they're going to have Victor Cruz back soon. From what I gather, Victor Cruz removed himself from practice today um, on the basis of he said he felt something in his hamstring. Victor Cruz is a potential upside when he comes back. Is this a scenario of they've got Odell Beckham and bugger all of a surrounding cast and the surrounding cast are making mistakes? Or is this Eli Manning who, given what we heard from the first two games, is just making terrible decisions on the pitch on all fronts. I think it's a combination of the above. And I mean, in fairness, Ruben Randall has actually played quite well this season. This is the guy mm. whose knees are so bad he can barely practice. There, there, is, a, there is certainly a question of the ability to receive. I know they actually, actually cut Preston Parker after his uh, repeated problems on, on third downs. And uh, I think I have uh, Dwayne Harrison there now. But it didn't look any better. And yeah, I think that perhaps, yeah, he's not throwing to the best guys in the world. But a lot of those throws that he missed were effectively on what were effectively almost designed broken plays because mm. Washington were paying so much attention to Beckham. Manning just seemed off target um, on throws he really, really should have been making. 
So yeah, I think there's certainly a question of the ability of the receivers, but I think his decision making is is lacking. And again, we flagged this last week. Where like again, what is the who's in charge there? Is Manning just doing his own thing as we seem mm. to think he is now? Uh, how much control does Ben McAdoo actually have over the offense? And where is Tom Coughlin in all of this? Mm. Presumably shaking his fist at the sky and yelling at a passing crowd because there just isn't. There's just something going wrong <laughs> there. This team has talent. It has talent. It's just Tom Coughlin. I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty much Grandpa Simpson at this point. Uh, um, I got two questions for you, Harry. One, and it should be a very quick answer. Who's going to end up winning the NFC East, and oh. how far below five hundred are they going to be? <laughs> yeah, easy question. I don't, I don't think it's an easy question. Um, winning the NFC East at this point, God, um, uh, it's not going to be Washington. I tell you that much. It, it, look, I, it's probably the, the way, particularly the Tony Romo injury, it's probably going to be Philly. Yeah. Okay. Probably, probably, know, uh, I'd say uh, seven nine maybe. Fair enough. And now, given now, I think I think this this your answer to that one belies it. Said definitely not Washington. Is it a scenario where because I think we're we're all agreed that they're quite anemic on offense apart from whenever they have a out of nowhere running back having a massive game. Is it a scenario where the Washington defense is better than we're giving them credit for and are actually causing a bit of disruption and actually playing okay? Or is it just that they've managed to put up okay-looking stats against teams that have shot the bed playing them? Um, not that I've noticed particularly. I mean, their, their front seven is doing an all right job, but the backfield is, is still extremely weak. And I think they've sort of, yeah, their opponents haven't been what you would call picking top. They've, they've made you know, an extremely dysfunctional Miami team, an incredibly inconsistent Rams team, and now lost to a Giants team that is just... Bumbled its way to a win. Now I know. Ways. I know. During this game with the Giants, they lost their uh, their their well, their their cornerback one. I suppose would be the term for it. He had to leave due to an injury. Paul, uh, almost repeating his performance from uh, from Hard Knocks, ended up basically getting his ankles broken by uh, by a wide receiver. So he left with an injury. Now one of the things I think, as it stands, we're waiting on confirmation as to how severe that injury is, but. Uh, Given what you've said about the defense and it being kind of soft in the secondary, uh, if they lose Hall, even though he's old and he's not good, he is probably their best cornerback at the moment. Uh, that'll be a massive loss. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that moving forward. But all I would say as it stands is their current record does not reflect the team that is playing. It is flattering them by a considerable distance. And I would happily, if I was any, bet against them. <laughs> I love that one win is flattering your performance, but that's that's probably true. But the thing is, even though it's one win, they were close in their loss in the second week. Uh, well, closer than they should have been. Right. No, no, I, I, I agree. <laughs> I just uh, wasn't the best yeah. team in the world. It wasn't, but to be honest, this is not a team that should have a win. There's a, there's yeah. enough teams sat at 0-3 that even though they're terrible, I would rank above the Washington Redskins. Indianapolis at Tennessee, 35-33. to that rhymed incredibly well. What do you reckon? Please uh, do the entire discussion of this game in rhyming form. I don't think I'm capable of that, to be honest with you. If you told me it was a rap battle, I've got unprepared some lines, but I'm way too white and Jewish for that to ever work. Uh, good so, Lord, good yeah, Lord. Sorry. Uh, good Jewish you could be the Drake. next... Drake, he's Jewish, no. there you go. Yeah, I was, um, was going to say, you could be the next Mattis Yahoo. Yeah, there you go. He's more <laughs> reggae. But, uh, uh, anyway, I haven't heard from him in years. Um... Like a high-scoring game, but for all the wrong reasons. All of the problems that we saw with Indianapolis manifested again this week. Luck really, really struggled. 
turn the ball over a lot. The, the, the offensive line, and again, they again they changed they changed the lineup on the offensive again. line again. Didn't work any better. Uh, the the problems are, are 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 still there. And yeah, they put up a fair number of points. Yeah, they got the win. But I didn't see anything from Indy that suggested any of those problems are going away. And against a team that's better than Tennessee, I think we could see them struggling. Now, mm. fortunately, they're in a very weak division, so they can still, I would say, win that. Yeah. But it is not happening there. And, and the Titans, I think, pretty much reverted to just being the Titans of, that we saw this, before. This, this was a even. Tennessee team that was winning this game and winning it well. And then just completely collapse towards the end of the game. And I suppose that's a disciplined thing you're going to expect with a young quarterback and what is still a relatively young team. They've been doing something similar to the Jags as they've been trying to take young, cheaper players and stuff. And like you've seen it in games up till now, a lot of potential in them. I think they do have a quarterback that's going to be their quarterback for the next maybe six to eight years anyway. Like, I see them trying to lock him down and build around him. The only problem I see with them moving forward is the fact that they're going to have massive... Like, there's a strong chance, regardless of how well they play, that they're going to have turnover in their management and they're going to have people trying to change schemes. And always that causes a problem for young quarterbacks coming into the spot. Speaking of management changes, we're looking at the Indianapolis Colts who... Let's be honest, Chuck Pagano was on a hot seat before and he came out after this game and he said, this was the most important win of my career. This is a fella who has coached teams through tough playoff wins. He clearly understands how much pressure is on him right now and how poorly the team are performing. He said, this is the most important win that we've had. I would contend that this is not a win that's going to guarantee him his job. It's not the turnaround that he wants. As much as it was showing some heart and coming back in the fourth quarter, this was a team that everyone had massive expectations of, has a very good roster overall, and was losing by two scores to the Tennessee Titans in the fourth quarter, who are starting a rookie quarterback. What do you think is... What do you think is the realistic expectations for the season for them now, given how they've started? And secondly, what do you think the potential for that coach is? What do you think needs to happen for Chuck Pagano to maintain his job? I'll be honest with you, Connor. Nothing. Pagano turned down a contract extension. Yeah. I don't think Pagano wants to be there anymore, and I think he knows that this team is too much of a project for him to turn around because the, the problems have just become. Like I think he knows that even if you know, they, and they probably still won't make the playoffs this season. It's too much for him to turn around before he gets canned. I Do think we could see Pagano walk at the end of this year. With, with, with the position they're in, they're probably going to make the playoffs again because Tennessee, Houston, and Jacksonville, they aren't going to send a, they aren't going to be sending a second team out of that division. They're not going to get a wild card. So I think Pagano will take the playoffs again. They'll probably crash out, and then he will walk away. Probably having to work with Grigson and Irsay is uh, probably not what I would call a healthy work environment. Yeah, the whole idea of working with a GM who'll occasionally drunken text out that we're going to have a hell of fun trade, y'all. Keep your eyes open. And then gives a first round pick for Trent Richardson. Uh, kind of says it all. Yeah, I, I can see why you wouldn't want to be in that situation regardless mm. of the potential upside of the team. So I, 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 from, from what I can see at this stage, unless something just magically starts working, uh, I don't know if Pagano is. I think Pagano is either going to leave, is either going to be mm. kicked out or will leave on his own terms at the end of the year. One other thing to add there, just about the Titans. I'll, t I'll tell you what I think is really, really hurting the Titans right now: the fact that David Cobb got injured in preseason because their run game has been. There were some flashes against the against the Bucks when 
they were able to do some of the read option thing, get people tanking ball, but even against the Colts, who aren't great against the run, they really, really struggled. And that's part of why they weren't able to control the game towards the end. They struggled to control the clock. They struggled to grind mm. out and move the ball. Put it all on Mariota, and that was just a little bit too much to ask. Fair enough. Speaking of slightly struggling run games, Chicago at Seattle, uh, during this game, I believe it was in the first quarter, the powerhouse that is Marshawn Lynch, uh, who entered the game with a slight hamstring injury and questions surrounding it. This is a person who has not missed a game in four years, has played through injuries uh, and everything else, had to leave the game because of it and potentially will be a harm to them afterwards. Seattle are a team who everyone has high expectations of but has underperformed so far this year. They are struggling with the changes from the trade they made with the Saints and they're yet to properly utilise Jimmy Graham. They have a 26-0 win here against the Chicago Bears, but that's just because the Chicago Bears are god-awful. This was a horrible game to watch. How badly do you think, one, this Marshawn Lynch injury is going to affect the Seahawks, but two, given how this game went, do you have any more faith in how the Seahawks are playing and how you see them moving onwards this season? Yes and no. Um... Obviously, losing a guy like Lynch is, is big. It must obviously, as you say, a serious injury if he's going to actually miss a game. But I thought we saw some really nice stuff from Rawls. Um, I thought, you know, that... This is the, this this is the, the, this is the rookie. The rookie, yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought he had quite a nice little game in there. Um, so, yeah, Lynch, you know, it does hurt not having a guy just as bruising and downhill as him. But we saw some little flashes from Rawls. I think he ended up with over 100 yards in the game. So it was quite, um, you know, uh, I think there's reasons to say, okay, this isn't the end of the world for, for, for Seattle. And despite the fact the game was terrible, as it went on, we did see a little more from, from the Seahawks. Uh, we did see, and again, maybe something you can attribute to Chicago's defence, but we did see Jimmy Graham starting to get involved a little bit more. We saw Russell Wilson get sacked slightly less. There were, you know, there, there's some things that indicate that they might be moving towards doing what they need to do. But overall, they did struggle to move the ball for large periods of the game. I think they were leading 3-0 for a good chunk of the first half with them just not being able to complete drives. Yeah, I think this is going to be a tough year for Seattle overall. I think they have enough talent to be ahead of the Niners and probably ahead of the Rams. Is that going to be enough to get them to the playoffs? I I don't know. And at this stage, unless they start playing better than they are, I don't think so. Because you can you know, you know, can play like they did against against the Bears, and that's fine. But not every team is the Bears. Yeah. And I'll ask a question because this is this is something I, I noticed back in the first week. I said that you know I think Adam Gase is implementing a good system, is managing things well with Jay Cutler, and that has sort of fallen to pieces with uh, with Jimmy Clausen uh, being in there just because he can't even complete the basic short routes. Do you think Chicago are going to uh, a win a game and b get a touchdown before Cutler comes back? I think they'll manage a touchdown, and I think they'll manage to win a game, probably. Just just, just through just the likelihood of, yeah, at some point it's going to be okay. They've still got Matt Forte on the go. Uh, they've still got good pieces. Um, the problem I see with it, the one thing that I think might be a blocker to it, is it seems to be the idea that it's Fox now that's down now, isn't it? They seem to be in a full-on approach of... and. To an extent, it's something that Chicago needed to look at anyway, was full-on rebuild mode. What they're doing at the moment is they're essentially having a fire sale on players and just pitching people out for whatever they can get for them. They've gotten rid of two players this week to try and pick up some draft picks for the following years. 
I think they're planning to probably move away from Cutler after this year anyway. He was a quarterback that they paid too much money to that the franchise was essentially tied to and I don't think Fox is happy to have him in there in the first place and he's going to take this as the opportunity to let's pick up some draft picks let's try and start rebuilding this team I think he's going to look if there is a available quarterback to replace him afterwards I think they seem to have bought into the entire rebuild scenario which I think is probably a good thing but it also means that it's going to be two or three years of a shitstorm of a Chicago Bears team but let's be honest, they're playing in the division with Aaron Rodgers, who is going to have that locked up the whole time anyway. Like, I don't see them competing for the next few years, so they might as well try and get it out of the way immediately. They played terribly, but that was to be expected. Seattle, again, the score flatters how, how terrible they actually played. It was not impressive. I agree with you, the rookie looked good, and a couple of, couple of players looked decent uh Tyler Lockett actually had a had a pretty decent game as well and they are they are a team that desperately needs options when it comes to the passing game but overall yeah I'm worried about how weak the Seahawks look but I'm more confident about them making the playoffs one I don't think they're going to win the division I think the Arizona Cardinals are going to stomp through that um but we discussed this I think it was two or three weeks ago in the NFC there's not there's 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 a couple of top end talents, but there's not a huge amount behind the first two or three teams within the NFC. So I could easily see the Seahawks getting nine and seven and taking a wild card. And the thing that I always say about the Seahawks is one of these old football adages kind of thing, uh, like almost a Michael Vick approach of it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. They perform in the in the postseason they've got the right mentality for it the problem they have right now is they've got the mentality but they haven't figured out how to work their current system with their change in personnel i can see by the end of the season that being fixed and then being back up to speed and i would never discount them as soon as they get in to the playoffs i'll never discount them there was that that seven and nine season where beast mode became beast mode because of how well they just ran was it defenders well it was it was it was six defenders and four of them recycled and on their second tackle still couldn't bring him down so i can see them getting a wild card and then performing in that that said even if they get into the playoffs as a wild card they're going to end up playing either the c uh, either either uh, green bay at home or arizona at home or like as in that team at home not not the seahawks at home They'll have to travel to them, and those are two matchups that I do not like the the, the potential for. Well, we'll have to get through another team first. Cause I would assume I think I, I'd be fairly confident saying Green Bay and Arizona will have a bye. Yes. Well, well, that, 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 that's what I'm basically thinking. So is looking at, you're looking at either then presumably I, I would say Carolina and whichever team gimps its way through the East, and mm. if they end up against Philadelphia or Dallas, I have oh, no, I can see no, I can no see them taking they, the they would be. But on that note, what we're going to do is we're going to swing across now to a quick look at our picks for this week. So, bizarrely, we have a very, very uh, consensus approach to this week. So, I'll run through some of the ones we all agree on, and we'll have a quick chat about uh, some of the ones that we don't. Uh, so, we've got, we're all taking the Jets against Miami. Um, I think Miami are, a, are an, in theory, a very good team, but have not delivered whatsoever, so they're going to collapse. And then Okay yeah, with that? like I think Tannehill has just got no protection. Yeah. Finally, got the Jets front seven are going to eat him up. 
Buffalo over Giants. No. <laughs> <laughs> it will be terrible. Carolina over Tampa Bay. Yeah, Panthers look good right now. Tampa Bay really, really don't. I agree with you, but I also think Tampa Bay will make this a little bit closer than you might think on the outside. So, Oakland playing the Chicago Bears. Uh, we've both taken Oakland. In fact, not just both of us, all four of us have taken Oakland. So, happy days. Uh, yeah. Not a chance of Chicago winning a game anytime soon. Yeah, no. Can't argue with that. No ways. Uh, Atlanta over Houston. Yeah, the Falcons look, the Falcons look competent. Uh, Houston just have no... Both their quarterbacks have played poorly no. and their defense isn't, isn't making a difference. Yeah, like who's going who's to actually cover Julio Jones? That's the problem. Uh, we've decided that Indianapolis are going to get a second win against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, I think, you know, if this was in Jacksonville rather than in, in, in Indianapolis, I might have second thoughts, but I think Indy have just enough about them to, to win a close one here. Mm. We got Philadelphia at Washington. Surprisingly enough, we're all in agreement that Philadelphia are going to win this, uh, even though Philadelphia, apart from last week, have just looked like shit. Uh, Washington also looked terrible. Uh, and I think, yeah, basically, they've got their run game going. Philadelphia will, will start to pick up a little head of steam there. Cleveland at San Diego, starting into the late games. Uh, we've all picked San Diego. Yeah, like, uh, San Diego have looked wobbly, and I think this could be a close one, but Cleveland with McCown, I just don't think have the ability to go over to the West Coast, and I think San Diego will be looking out for a bit of bit of revenge after having played poorly in the last couple of weeks. Next game, this is going to be slightly more interesting. We all picked Denver to beat Minnesota. Uh, I decided last minute I'm going to swap it over, and I think Minnesota are going to beat Denver. Uh, basically, Denver, okay, weak enough on offense, pretty good defense, I'm going to swap my thing and say that uh, I'm going to be the only one saying Minnesota. Look, it's in mile high. I think Denver's defense have looked outstanding. And in the last last week for Denver, what we saw was we saw a compromise. We saw Peyton Manning playing out of the pistol, uh, playing much less under center, looking a lot more comfortable in the system, I think. We saw a bit of that in the second half last week where they just started looking more together. And I think that they're going to have enough if they keep doing that take advantage of Manning's tools and yes Adrian Peterson is looking better but ultimately I don't see that Denver defense giving up enough for them not to not to win this one yeah I know I understand it like I'm close to it like I agree with you entirely I get what you're saying uh the problem I have right now is that uh, I think it's Kubiak is the is the offensive player in Denver he's uh he's come out and he said uh as much as it worked when they allowed Peyton Manning to have a leash and do what he wants he wants to stick to what he's doing and thinks he'll finally work the system. So I think he's going to spend a large section of this game not playing the most optimal way for that de- for that Denver uh, offense to work. So yeah, I just see I just see Minnesota in a close game, and I can easily see them losing as well. But I think I think they might just be able to push them off. Also, at this point, this is a Denver team who is due a loss because they've had three squeaky bum time wins essentially. Okay. We're all taking Green Bay against San Francisco. I don't think there's much discussion either on this one apart from, like, is it going to be by 40 or by 60? It's going to be ugly. By the way, the spread for this is only 8. So wow. So on that if you can. There you go. If you want a betting suggestion, yeah, take Green Bay at minus 8 against San Francisco. Holy shit. Um, we're all taking Arizona over St. Louis. We had a long chat about Arizona earlier, like... They look great. St. Louis don't look great. Is that pretty much it? I think that's it. I think St. Louis will probably turn up a little bit more than they have. Because, again, they just they do step it up against <coughs> the better teams. But I just think Arizona have enough to overwhelm them. Fair enough. Uh, we're all taking Dallas over New Orleans on Sunday Night Football. Uh, Dallas, while not looking great, have quite a bit going. We discussed Dallas earlier and just the fact that New Orleans' defense looks a mess. 
even if they're not great, I think they'll have enough to, to overpower a team that looks like it just has no idea what it's doing right now. Yeah, as much as you can criticise Brandon Weed, you always probably could well have Luke McCown coming out of the centre again. That's so. it. Oh, we might have the beautiful uh, the double down on the McCown brothers again this weekend. Uh, and then we're all taking Seattle against Detroit. Yeah, for all Seattle's problems, Detroit's offence has looked dysfunctional this year. Massively so. There, there is, a, there is a, always a turtle chance with the random number generator that is Stafford as to he could just decide, you know what, actually, yeah, Megatron's pretty good. I'll throw to him for 400 yards or something. But yeah, I think I just see big, big scenario. Seattle trying to get back on track. Uh, they haven't looked good, but I think they've now got Cam back. Cam's going to look good. Uh, he's going to be back into the rotation properly. I just see them having this as kind of a resurgence game and being like, this is who we are. We're back again. We've got two games that we were divided on. Interestingly enough, when we look at this, it's just Harry who disagreed on these games because he's an awkward bastard. Yeah. Uh, Baltimore, Pittsburgh. I took Pittsburgh. Dave took Pittsburgh. Harry took Baltimore. Harry, we had a long discussion about how bad Baltimore looked earlier. And a long discussion about here, even with the injury, there's still a bit of potential in this offense for Pittsburgh. Why do you think Baltimore are going to stop looking like shit? I wouldn't go that far. Bear in mind what I said about Pittsburgh earlier, that I actually think this Pittsburgh offense is not designed to be run by Michael Vick, so I think they're going to actually struggle to move the ball quite a bit. You're saying Michael Vick is going to look a little bit rough. (laughs) I think I'll have a dog of a a game. This is going to be the first game with Vick starting, and that's often a very rough transition, because you don't really know what... You have less of a good idea of what works and what doesn't work from your playbook with that guy. Whereas the Ravens, I think, yeah, there obviously have been problems this season and some of them quite substantial. I think they're going to be pretty fired up going into this one. You're going into it against your big divisional rival. You know they're lacking quarterback. Their defense has looked a little bit off at times this season. And they do have big, pl- they do have big playmakers in Steve Smith. If they can get Justin Forsett going and actually start getting something going on the ground, I think it's going to be a close game. But I think Baltimore can take this just by... Pittsburgh just not being set with the new setup they're going to have to run. They are going to have to change the game plan with Vic. Fair enough. I would say um, Pittsburgh are at home. They've got a good crowd following behind them. They're going to be loud. They're going to be problematic. I think the offense still has weapons to deliver. And my problem is I look at this as being a game between two teams who both cannot play defense effectively at the moment. I think there are good elements on Baltimore's offense. I think there are more good elements on Pittsburgh's offense. And I think that they'll managed to squeak it out and there is that slight division of I would probably rate uh, rate Michael Vick higher than you do as a person to step into this role now we had a discussion beforehand ourselves uh, a couple of nights back about I think we were essentially in agreement that we think Michael Vick is the top end of the backup quarterback sections although that said uh, Fitzmagic's been, 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 been pushing himself into that conversation of late but Michael Vick I think is actually a decent enough backup, decent enough to be able to get it going. And with the stars they have on offense and the way that Baltimore have been playing and the fact that Baltimore are traveling to Pittsburgh in, like you say, a divisional game, wherever they'll be up for it, I can just see Pittsburgh edging it. The second one that we have a division on, and uh, I'll allow you to to run right with this because obviously I'll be biased. We have the Casey at Cincinnati game. 
Uh, I took Kansas City, as I always will do. Dave took Kansas City, as uh, I suppose, as a Browns fan, he feels my pain. And Harry decided to take Cincinnati. The problem I have with this, Harry, is that I understand, I think, entirely why you're taking Cincinnati in this game. Yeah, like I, I think you know what, I, what I'm going to say. Uh, Andy Dalton is playing as well as Cincinnati Dalton yeah. play. AJ Green is just monstrous. And yeah, I know you guys are getting Sean Smith back, but there's still questions on that on that back end uh, in terms of how you do it. You, you, Cincinnati, you know, what, what Kansas City, I think, have done quite effectively over the last few weeks is take away the run game. Cincinnati have managed to win games where their run game has been taken away, where they haven't had that big downhill guy. They've just gone away from Hill and they're like, right, we're just going to use Joe Bernard. We're going to stretch you out. The form they're in, the way they're playing, the way their wide receivers are playing, I think you guys do have good defensive backs in general. But I think at the moment, AJ Green is a matchup nightmare for any defensive back in the league. I agree. And I, I just don't know how you're going to contain that. And I think what Kansas City do best on defense is something that Cincinnati has shown that they can live with having taken away from them. Yeah. I agree entirely with you. Like My problem with this is, as I said earlier, I think Cincinnati is one of the best top-to-bottom rosters in the NFL at the moment. I think they are strong to good at almost all parts of the game and all parts of their roster, which is going to be hard to deal with. My comeback to the to the to the discussion about like AJ Green is a matchup nightmare and he is and as we saw in the game on Monday Night Football against the Packers, like one injury to that to that to that collection of defensive backs and there's not a huge amount of options underneath that. Uh, given that we're carrying some injuries going into it, it's not fantastic. We do get Steve Smith back, which uh, or sorry Sean Smith back, which uh, which which provides us with a bit of coverage and a much better chance initially with it. The thing that I think that the that the that the DBs do, and especially with the pass rush uh, that's coming from the front seven, is it it creates a scenario to pressure Andy Dalton in a way that I don't think he's been pressured properly so far. I think he and pressure do not get on very well. He is not a piece of coal that's going to turn into a diamond. He's a piece of coal that's going to feel a bit of pressure and then just become slack. And you'll be like, why is my fire not staying lit? It's because my coal is made of shit. I think that pressure coming up the front, if they can get that going early, is going to allow slightly more erratic throws. And I think that AJ Green, while phenomenal, uh, the one thing that the DBs do for the for the Kansas City Chiefs uh, which is a bit different. They're, they're quite good at their coverage stuff, but what they are particularly good at is big plays. It's getting in there and picking up interceptions and causing causing massive uh, massive one-off issues. It's not so much a coverage island from a DB as it is the thing of there's a eternal potential there for someone to cause a turnover and to cause a game-changing scenario. I think they're going to be angry about how the last two games went they're going to want to try and prove a point, and this is a great one to try and prove a point against because it's a team that's sitting high but does not respond well at the quarterback position to pressure. We're going to go to three questions. So we had some questions submitted by uh, by listeners of the podcast. Um, I'm trying to think. So if we, who are the three that we've picked? What what, what three people so is we it? We have one from Ronan. We have one from... Uh, Maria and we have one from Lorna. Okay, so we'll do it in that order. So, so uh, the one from Ronan, uh, I, <laughs> I think there's an easy answer to this, but there is probably a slightly more nuanced answer. So, which of the zero and three teams do you think are going to make the playoffs? Baltimore, Chicago, Detroit, or New Orleans? I would say none, but I can understand the potential for discussing whether or not Detroit could get their shit together. That said, given that we've Basically, all decided they're going to not win this week as well. It's not a great chance, but like we said, it's a weak NFC. 
it's a kind of scenario where I think the two wildcard teams are going to be probably quite low win teams in general. Like maybe nine and seven would be not even a contentious. You have to you have to you have to tie break with someone that might just get someone a place. So Harry, of these four teams, do any of them have a shot? Yeah, I would agree with you that Detroit have the best shot. I think we can write off Chicago and New Orleans pretty much immediately. Yeah. For, for very obvious reasons. Um, with Detroit, this is the thing, you, you never know. And for one half of one game this season, Detroit looked magnificent, which is the first half against San Diego. They have the potential and they have players who can make those plays. Not just on the offense, they've got Megatron and Golden Tate and Amir Abdul looks fantastic. And they're sort of easing Detroit Bell back into that bruiser role that we know he can do very, very well. Um, also on the defense, they do have talent. Uh, it is, as you say, I think it's a case of chasing, chasing after that wild card uh, in the NFC. They certainly could do it. Like I don't know if it'll be a question of yeah, it'll be clear. I think they might need some luck with the tie break, particularly they do have a tough enough schedule, and I don't yeah. think they're going to win this week. The other thing I'd say, and I know this is a very long shot, but I think there is potential for Baltimore. I think if Baltimore are able to sort themselves out. I think they could also possibly push for a for a wild card. It is it is. What do you think? What do you shot? think the high end of their of their record could be? Is it? Do you think they could manage to pull themselves back up to nine or ten wins? I, th- I don't see ten wins. I think they could probably pull themselves up eight or nine, and then. Be do you think? Do you think a, nine wins is there. enough in that AFC though? I don't know, but, and I, I, I that's why I'm saying I don't think it's likely. Mm. But I think I think it's possible. Uh, I mean, I think you're really within the AFC. The problem is, yeah, you're going to have a team from probably a team from the West and the Buffalo Bills taking the taking the wild card spots. Yeah. But you never know how it's going to it's going to pan out. So I think Baltimore, you know, have and they do get the potential they do, to finish. They also, they strong. do get they do get games against. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure if they get one against the Bills, but I know they do get to play the uh, the FC West this year. So they have the chance of to not only just just get a win in the column, but also put a loss in one of. The teams that we we think might be might be pitching for those uh, for those wild card spots against them, which I don't think that they're going to get to nine wins. That's my problem. I I can see them making mistakes and pissing away games that they have the potential. I think they have the potential if they played up to their ability fully the whole time to get to nine wins, maybe ten wins at a stretch. But I just don't see them playing up to that point. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. I don't, I don't think it's likely, but I, yeah. I, I would I wouldn't want to write them off yet. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they mm. have. I would I would, like I would, a chance. I would, I would I would I would write them off, but I like to live dangerously. <laughs> um, okay, well, we're going to move on to our next question, the one from uh, from Maria. Uh, she says, "Who is the best performing rookie so far this year?" Uh, I know I have an opinion on this, and you have an opinion on this. Uh, we disagree, and I think if the rest of them were here, we'd also have slightly disagreements and some slight agreements as well i reckon and obviously again i'm i'm slightly biased in this one but i think uh marcus peters the chief's first round cornerback has looked phenomenal so far and has been playing an absolute blinder uh he was ranked by uh analysts as being the top uh rookie so far this year because of his performances we're looking at a a rookie cornerback who's had to step in not just to play immediately, but also to play the, the cornerback one role because of the fact that Sean Smith is out for three weeks on his DUI. He has not just been covering randomers. His first game was he was covering DeAndre Hopkins for, 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 for the Texans and only allowed one big play, really, against himself. The week two, he was playing against the Denver Broncos and was covering uh, Daenerys Thomas and, uh, and uh, Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders. And 
did a phenomenal job against them and then week three was playing against the Packers and uh, still there was bugger all balls thrown his way uh, it was more the fact that they could hit anyone they wanted whatsoever elsewhere on the field um, but we're talking about a chap who in his first two games had an interception in both those games one of which was a pick six had nine passes defended no sorry seven passes defended in the second game only one completion allowed uh, against Denver and had I think three completions allowed with uh, six passes defended on the first game and an interception so like I think he's playing phenomenally uh, but I believe you're going to the other side of the ball for your shout I am indeed. I will say I love I love what we've seen from Peters. I think he got exposed a little bit against Green Bay, but mm. I, it's, it's you know it's it's a, it's a very tough team to play and very tough field to cover. Um, and I do I do like what we've seen from him, and I hope he keeps going. He's a very exciting young player. Now, there was an obvious thing to say here, which I was going to say. And I apologize, I was going to say which is Amari Cooper, because mm. uh, obviously Cooper's just been phenomenal. He has been looking but great the last two weeks. I've been having a think, and I've got a different call on this. Okay, what's your new one, Carlos Williams? Really? Carlos Williams has been incredible. He is going to be starting next week as well because McCoy is injured. Um, he's been he's in the in a relief role at running back, and not just in garbage time. He's been you know he's been mixing in snaps from the start. Yeah. He's got a touchdown in each of his three games. He's averaging seven point eight yards a carry. Got hundred and ten yards in his last game, which he didn't start. He's looked incredible. The way he runs is just so powerful and you know i don't want to make any many hyperbolic comparisons but it reminds me a little bit of marshall lynch in that sense that he's got that downhill style he's got that power but he's got vision he hits so gaps well and he's, he's able to bowl guys so over so essentially pick. what you're saying is he is going to start well for the first three games then spend two years in the wilderness and then eventually get picked up by another team and become a champion after a losing season that gets them into the playoffs. Yeah, I probably shouldn't shouldn't compare uh, <laughs> Buffalo Rollbacks. <laughs> now thinking about it, yeah, Marshall Lynch's tenure in Buffalo is not, not the most most glory filled. Uh, did did, you, did you ever see the Did you ever see the video he made when he was there about? Uh, was these ESPN kind of like let's come down and meet the rookies thing, and it was uh, Marshawn Lynch before he decided he hated the media, uh, and I understand after what happened in Buffalo why he did, uh, but it was phenomenal. It was his it was his rookie year, and it was uh, them coming down, him showing that he was totally having loads of fun in Buffalo. So it was like, what do you do for fun, Marshawn? And they just filmed me going, I go to Applebee's, <laughs> and it's just him like, oh my god, I love popcorn shrimp. <laughs> it's just terrible. Like, yeah. Uh several DUIs later and here <laughs> we are um, I'm glad he's swapped out the popcorn shrimp for skittles I think that's a bit more real yeah. no genuinely like also I wouldn't really like the idea of him like throwing that down his face and having something stuck in his hair yeah afterwards. that wouldn't really great I think he'd probably get cold on the sideline as well <laughs> um, probably get salmonella but no genuinely I, I think Carlos Williams has been incredible fifth round selection what he's done given what was expected of him is insane I think we're gonna si I think he's going to have a great game this mm. week I think he's going to tear through that Giants defense and like if I was LaShawn McCoy I would be quite worried because I can see the Rex Ryan being a guy who likes power running who likes mm -hmm. big strong downhill guys Carlos Williams has performed that well and when you're putting LaShawn McCoy into that position I think that's just incredible mm -hmm. so yeah we've seen you know we've seen great stuff from like Peter we've seen great stuff from Mari Cooper but I think this kid is going to be the one to watch going forward he's just such an exciting player and he's just got such an incredible talent uh, finally, we're going to go on to the last question. It should be a relatively quick one. This comes from Lorna of the 
Lorna, who last year in one of the fashion leagues decided she didn't know enough about American football, so she decided to go for anyone who had D apostrophe or D E apostrophe as a prefix to their name. But uh, the question from Lorna in true Lorna style is which QB is the hottest? Thoughts? I now I get to be a homer, right? You have all your Casey Homerism. It's gotta be Tom Brady, man. The man is beautiful. Those cheekbones, that designer stubble everything like i'm sorry he's just he's just so pretty he's just like this is why I, opposing linemen just look into his eyes and just like oh i don't want to hit you i don't fully get the tom brady pre thing i get that like yes he like obviously all of them are all of the quarterbacks are tend to be quite physically gifted people so they have good bodies and he does have some nice features the problem is that like i've seen him in interviews where it just seems slightly like someone like some kind of strange monster wearing human skin. Like, it's... He doesn't seem like a person. I'm not judging my personality. Oh, okay. Uh, he, he, wants, he wants Donald Trump to be president. Like. There's, there's, <laughs> but there's, there's this ongoing thing of, like, kind of look at him and go, like, okay, so I suppose he's meant to be kind of hot, but then, but then he's just... He doesn't seem like a human, and that's not attractive. I'm going to go for, uh, I would almost say, the opposite end of the spectrum. I am going to go for Cam Newton. Cam Newton is large, muscular, hot as shit, and also a cool motherfucker. Like, I can't think of someone who I would want to go out with more than Cam Newton. That shit would be badass. Uh, he's, not, he's not a bad-looking chap, Cam. Uh, mm. I can certainly see the personality aspect uh, in there. Did you see his um, press conference today where he was asked about the Hockey League thing? No, no. So obviously that thing where he said Ed Hockley said that he wasn't old enough to get oh, a yeah, call. Oh, yeah, yeah, And somebody asked him, and Cam just went, uh, Hockley denied it. And Cam was asked about it in the press conference, and Cam just went, uh, well, of course he'd say that. But the look, the mm. absolute look of disgust he gave the reporter was, oh, it was magical. It was magical. So yeah, he's a pretty funny guy. He's charismatic. I'll definitely give him that. Oh, of course. Like, the one thing about attractiveness and why it's a slight problem with the question is it's obviously entirely subjective to the person. But all I will say is that Harry is clearly racist. So, uh, so Cam Newton is the most attractive quarterback in the league. So with that, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. <laughs> I'd like to thank you all for tuning in to the, to the All Four Quarters podcast. Uh, you all better agree with me or else you all be racist. Uh, and with that, best of luck. We will chat to you all next week.